Welcome to Chet Chats. I'm your host, Chet, and we have a great and very relevant topic for you today. Today we're going to be discussing the 25th Amendment and presidential removal and succession. All right, guys, let's jump right into it. The 25th Amendment was ratified in 1967, and what it says is, in the case of the removal of the president from office or of his death or resignation, the vice president shall become president. That's section one. Section two says that whenever there's a vacancy in the office of vice president, the president shall nominate a vice president who shall take office. Not really a big deal. Uh, in section three, this is what the president, him, him or herself, decides that they are uh, lacking in capacity to carry out their duties and basically says that when the president sends a letter to the pres uh, president of the Senate and the Speaker of the House that he is unable to carry out the duties and the vice president shall take office until the president sends another lady or another notice or letter saying, you know what, I'm feeling better. I'm, I, I can do the job now. Section four is really the one that everyone's interested in. And the reason it's relevant today is because Nancy Pelosi is talking about convening a committee pursuant to the 25th Amendment and discussing uh, presidential removal. Now, she said at a recent press conference that this does not have anything to do with President Trump, um, but that they just wanted to have a committee in place for future presidents. I don't know. You decide whether you believe that. You decide whether you believe anything that comes out of the mouth of Nancy Pelosi. But Section 4 says that whenever the vice president and a majority of either the principal officers of the executive departments, and that just means the cabinet. So the vice president and a majority of the cabinet or of such other body as Congress may by law provide. So what that means is if Congress convenes a committee on the topic of presidential removal. So putting this into layman's terms, either the vice president and a majority of the, of the uh, cabinet or the vice president and a majority of some committee that Congress comes up with. Whenever they transmit to the president of the Senate, Chuck Schumer, or the, um, and I'm sorry, and the Speaker of the House, a written declaration that the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office, then the vice president shall immediately assume the powers of the president. Thereafter, when the president transmits to president of the Senate and the Speaker of the House a written declaration that no inability exists, basically when he then sends a letter going, hey guys, I'm fine. I can do the job. I, this, is, this removal is now unnecessary. He shall resume the powers and duties of his office unless, and let's focus on the unless. So we've got a situation where he's been removed but then the president sends a letter basically saying, I object to the removal or I'm now able to do the job unless the vice president and a majority of either the 
cabinet, like we talked about, or that same body of Congress transmits within four days to the president of the Senate and the Speaker of the House a written declaration that, no, buddy, you're still unable to do the job. You're still unable to discharge the powers and duties of the office. So now we have a situation where there's a dispute. So they've removed him from office. He sent his written declaration saying, I got this. I'm good. I, I, you guys don't need to remove me from office. Then the same body or the same group sends back a written declaration going, no, for realsies, for realsies, you can't do the job. Then it says, thereupon Congress shall decide the issue. Assembling within 48 hours for that purpose, if not in session. So if they're not in session, they still have to decide the issue within 48 hours. If the Congress within 21 days after receipt of the latter written declaration, so the, the later written declaration, meaning the declaration from uh, the vice president and the cabinet, um, or if they're not in session within 21 days after Congress is required to assemble, determines by two thirds vote of both houses that the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties then the vice president shall remain president. So basically, if there's a dispute and the president in, is insisting that he is able to do the job, then Congress has to decide by two-thirds. That's called a supermajority. By both houses, then the vice president will remain president. So what does that mean? It means it's not going to happen. It means that unless... In, in, in the situation that we're in, let's just assume and let's just pretend that we are talking about Trump. Unless you can get two-thirds of both the House and the Senate to agree that he is unable to perform the duties, you're not kicking him out of office based on the 25th Amendment. And let's not ignore the fact that in all of these scenarios, the Vice President, Mike Pence, would have to sign off on it, and he'd have to agree with it. So this isn't going to happen. So why is Nancy Pelosi doing this? Well, why does she do a lot of the things that she does? Why does she threaten impeachment of the president for him exercising constitutional duties? I have heard it posited or theorized that assembling this, uh, this committee... And at least going forward with the this process is just an attempt to be able to uh, subpoena medical records of the president because people have suspicion that he knew he was positive with COVID before the last debate. And that this is simply a procedural mechanism to allow them to hand over those medical records. Because if they were talking about um, his incapacity one of the things that would be relevant to a determination of his capacity would be his medical condition and his recent medical condition and medical records on that uh, from recent admissions to the hospital, medical records from recent COVID testing would certainly be relevant to that issue. So it's been suggested that that's the reason that they don't actually want to remove him from office. But here's the thing, okay? And a lot of people have criticized Trump for giving false factual information. 
regarding COVID, regarding the virus, and have said that it, you know, the president, even though, even though the president's not the one who prescribes medication to people, that it, that what he says is still dangerous because he's the president and people are going to rely on it. And it's, you know, there's this moral requirement for the president to relay factual information. And to a large extent, I agree with that. I agree that the president should be very judicious in what he says and should not relay factual information that's not that's not correct and that you know that that certainly poses a danger. But let's, you know, let's hold everyone to the same standard. It's also dangerous for the speaker of the house, a person who's third in line to the president, one of the most powerful politicians in the government, the Speaker of the House, arguably, is a person who, from a legislative standpoint, represents the people of this country the closest, because the House of Representatives is supposed to be more closely tied to the people, given their two-year terms, whereas the Senate does six-year terms. Uh, that's that's kind of the uh, the theory of our bicameral legislature. For the for the Speaker of the House to get up there and suggest legal things procedures and legal courses of action to remove the president that's not supported by law that's also that's also problematic and it's problematic because it undermines people's confidence in the legal system when you get Nancy Pelosi up there saying we're going to impeach the president if he tries to nominate a supreme court justice something he's completely constitutionally authorized to do we're going to convene we're going to talk about the 25th amendment. We're going to we're going to convene a committee to remove the president knowing darn well that she does not have the legal support to actually effectuate that. It puts all these ideas in people's head. It it generates this uh general consensus and feeling of a coup of we're going to remove the president through these procedural mechanisms that are not supported by law. Ladies and gentlemen, that's dangerous also. That's dangerous to a democracy because people, the layperson, I mean, they talk about, oh, well, people are stupid and so people are going to rely when he talks about injecting bleach into you, people are going to go out and do that. And we shouldn't expect people to be smart and educated and not do that. We're, they're going to rely on the president. Well, people are, are just as ignorant, if not more so, on legal procedure and they're going to rely on Nancy Pelosi Nancy Pelosi's statements that impeaching the president because he does this or that is appropriate, that that, that must be a legally viable course of action. We're going to convene the 25th Amendment. Oh, well, that must be a legally viable option then because the Speaker of the House is talking about it. Okay, if we're going to hold Trump to the standard that everything that comes out of his mouth must be factually accurate, then we should hold Nancy Pelosi to the same standard that everything that comes out of her mouth should be legally viable and should be a legally correct statement of law. Okay, so it's dangerous when you have people because it just generates this idea, this general sentiment that we don't like the president, so we're going to find a way to we're just going to remove him. Never mind the fact that the procedures in place do not support what she's suggesting. So that's my that's my thought on that. But that's the 25th Amendment. Um, and don't get me wrong, if President Trump actually did know that he was infected with COVID and he went to the rally anyway and he got in 
presidential limousine with all these people uh, without a mask, and, and he exposed all of these people to COVID. Is that a problem? Absolutely. Should there be a repercussion? Absolutely. Is it removal via the 25th Amendment? No. No, it's not. Maybe impeachment would be appropriate in that case. If the president knowingly infected large groups of people to COVID, knowingly, that's the key word, knowingly did that, could that be an impeachable offense? Sure. But Nancy Pelosi has burned that bridge. She has, she's the, the, the little girl that cried wolf. She's cried impeachment so many times that to say impeachment now, I think people would just roll their eyes and shake their head. This is why you have to be very judicious and selective when you throw out the I word, the impeachment word, because you better save it for a time when there's actually a viable reason to impeach someone. And we don't yet know whether Trump knowingly exposed someone to COVID. We don't know that yet. It would be appropriate to investigate that and to look into it, but we don't know that for sure. But what I want to talk about a little bit is what's really dangerous is a lot of people, uh, especially on the left, are supporting this idea of the 20, because this is the thing. They hear the 25th Amendment and they think, oh, well, I support the idea of removing the president because he's unfit to lead. And so even though they don't understand the true legal standard for that, it gets all these people thinking that. And that's how you affect the masses is you put this idea out there from someone that has authority, someone like Nancy Pelosi. And when the Speaker of the House says we're looking into the 25th Amendment, now everybody on the left is jumping on this bandwagon of being like, well, yes, I agree with that because he's unfit to lead. So what do they do? They engage in this group think and this, this bias because people are not self-aware enough to realize that you know, to separate their emotions from, you know, a true factual determination. Saying that you think the president is, quote, insane or the president is unfit to lead based on your opinion of, of who is or is not fit to lead is different than that person being incapacitated, okay? And if the roles were reversed, you would understand that. If Obama was in office... Or let's say, let's say, no, let's say Bernie Sanders was in office. A lot of people on the right would say that guy is insane. He's a socialist. He's unfit to lead. We should convene the 25th Amendment. And what would the left say? No, no, he was elected. He was elected by our process. So if, if Donald Trump is truly unfit to lead, and I'm not, I'm not saying whether he is or not. I'm, I'm not taking an opinion on whether he's fit to lead or whether he's a great president or anything like that. But the process for whether he's truly fit to lead is called an election. That's what it is. It's an election. Let the American people, and you know what's really dangerous, and I've heard people say this, what's dangerous is when people start saying, well, the people can't be trusted. The, the, pop, the masses, the, you know, the American people can't be trusted because they're stupid. So we can't trust an election. That's a very dangerous thought process. And I have heard people say that. When you start going down that road of people can't be trusted, we as the elite politicians, we as the elite whatever, 
should be deciding what's in the best interest of America. That's tyranny. Okay? That is tyranny. And that is exactly what our founding fathers fought against. Well, I'll tell you what. Our founding fathers trusted our people. Our founding fathers trusted the, the American citizenry um, to an extent. Okay? To an extent. And... I know that they we don't have a popular vote. We have an electoral college. There's we, that's a whole different conversation, but they trusted the democratic uh, process, the democratic democratic republic that we have, a democratically elected um, representative form of government. So when people start saying things like, you know, these frivolous impeachments. And the 25th Amendment is a better option to put taking someone out of office than our our electoral college and our, our voting process. That is very problematic. And the thing is, you're hearing it right now. Okay? So it's something to be concerned about. I'm not saying Trump is... Look, I, I think Trump Trump's an idiot. Okay? I'm just going to say it. He's an idiot. Um, I didn't vote for him in the primary in the Republican primary, I didn't vote for him. Uh, so I'm not some Trump fan. What I am a fan of is the of the Constitution, the United States Constitution. I'm a fan of our system of government. I think when when we follow it to the letter of the law, when everyone is, is faithful to the Constitution and faithful to the, the process, uh, I think we see more justice than any other country in the world. No system of government is perfect. And that's the thing. A lot of people think because there's problems um, that our system of government is bad. There is no system of government that is perfect. But I can tell you as someone who's worked in the justice system for over a decade, um, when the procedures are followed, when people's rights are acknowledged and you know people don't cut corners and people are ethical and do what they're supposed to do, justice is served substantially substantial justice not perfect justice but substantial justice and that is our episode for today i hope you have enjoyed it and stay tuned for upcoming episodes of chet chats